all of you today, and uh, we're continuing our, our sermon series. A series is a group of lessons for you, those of you who are visiting uh, on a specific topic, and we're talking about, as you can see on the screen, Big Church. And again, it's not about us in this place being a big church, but God's plan for His church is really, really big. I want to encourage you with some good news about our sister church in the city of Tokyo. Uh, as you know, the earth shook, the whole island. Uh, one, one of the uh, geologists said that the whole island of Japan was moved by eight feet during this earthquake. That's the God that we worship. He moves heaven and earth. But that's got to be pretty scary if you're there. And a lot of people were cut off in the city, frightened. Uh, there was no transportation for 24 hours. Uh, and people were basically stranded at their workplace with no food, uh, no place to go. And our church building, they have a church building there in the church in Tokyo. Uh, the singles were there that day to prepare for a party that night. Obviously no party. But they basically opened the doors of the church and provided a, a, a refuge for people, a, a shelter so that people could come in, get some food, and go to sleep. Uh, it's right next door to the fire station. And so the firemen were coming over, and it was a cooperation between the, the fire station, the firemen, and the church. And I am sure that God is going to use that. To help people understand who is who are these people that I don't even know that it says, you know, the Church of Christ on the top of the building and they're opening up the doors to give me food and shelter in a very frightening time. And I'm pretty sure there were some Bible studies going on at that time. But, you know, God has a great plan for his church. And today, the, the theme and the title of today's lesson is called a prayer for boldness, a prayer for boldness. And we're going to be continuing where we left off. But when you think about church, what comes to mind immediately? You know, my, most people, a building, right? We think of a building. We went through that uh, very clearly last week that it's not about a building. Uh, it's about the people, ecclesia. And one of the worst things that happened in church history is when they changed the word ecclesia for kirch, which means building. It was never Jesus' intention for it to be about a place, but rather the people that come together and wherever that is. And, uh, you know, as we think about church, it's probably very far from what Jesus' intention and what, what his intention was and what it was in the first century. And thanks to men like William Tyndale, we can go back and look at what the Bible says and what the history of the church did when they started the church. And as you remember last week, we looked at what? Opening day. Right? And what happened on opening day? 3,000 people were added to their number. In fact, it was an incredible event. People were speaking in languages from all over the earth. Sharing the good news. And today we're going to take up basically where we left off. But I want to begin with a question. Name two people that were crucified by the Romans. By the Romans in the first century. And very well-known people. Okay, can you name two people? The first one's real easy. 
Jesus, right? Yeah, that's, that's correct. Jesus is the first one. What about the second one? Any idea who the second very famous person was who was crucified by the Romans? No, it wasn't Peter. A famous person that the Romans did it. You're not going to believe it. In 70 A.D., his name is Spartacus. Spartacus. And they've uh, made a mini-series not too long ago about Spartacus, but not a very good one. If you want to see the good one, and it's a very interesting movie. It's the 1960 version of Spartacus. And uh, here he is, Spartacus himself, Kurt Douglas, in 1960 played the role. It's a very interesting movie. I recommend it because you see what life was like at that time. And why do we know about Spartacus? Spartacus was a slave. And he was a slave that was trained to fight as a gladiator in the arena for entertainment. But Spartacus did something that very, pe- very few people. He was a slave, and what he did is he led an uprising against the empire of Rome, the strongest, biggest empire in the world. And a slave rallied tens, hundreds of thousands of slaves, maybe even millions of slaves, because the Rome was run by slaves. It was basically the backbone of how things got done. Slaves. And Spartacus put together an army and they came this close to overthrowing the Roman Empire. And they realized how vulnerable they were that if the slaves got together and formed an uprising, they could bring us down. And Spartacus was almost successful, but he was finally brought down and defeated. And so Spartacus, why is this so significant? Spartacus was someone that the Roman Empire wanted everyone to know about. And so they hired all the historians that they could possibly... They invested a lot of money and a lot of time to make sure that people knew about Spartacus. Because they wanted to go down in history. If you mess with Rome, this is what will happen to you. And they basically gathered Spartacus and all of his soldiers and they crucified them on crosses on the entryway to Rome. And it went for miles. Men crucified on the road to Rome. And it was a very deliberate message that they wanted to send. Do not do what Spartacus did or this is what will happen. But my question is this. We know about Spartacus. This is the real mystery. How in the world is that we know about Jesus? Do you realize that very few of the time of Jesus in the first century, compared to Spartacus, very few historians wrote about Jesus? And he was in in the armpit of the world, Palestine, Judea. Nobody in the empire wanted to go there. In fact, when Pilate was sent there, it was it was considered a disgrace to go there and be a governor in Judea because it was an armpit. It was a lowly place. A Jewish carpenter. How did Jesus make it out of the first century? How is it that now, you know, a construction worker, we know about him 2,000 years later? 
and that he became so well. We know more about Jesus than we do know about the emperors of Rome. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus. We know in great detail about Jesus, but how? How is it that we made it, that, that we know about Jesus? How is it that Jesus made it out of the first century? You know, a lot of historians have tried to explain this. And do you know that a, a third of the world's population today believe that there is a connection between Jesus and God? They have some type of belief in Jesus that he's the Son of God. How is it that the third of the world's population know about Jesus? When it happened in such a small place, and there were no historians promoting it, how do you explain that? And many historians, modern day historians, have tried to write what they think. And, you know, historians, they have their job. They try to explain by natural causes why things happened. But, you know, some of their writings... They just don't, they don't cut it. They don't explain how Jesus, and today we're going to know and we're going to explain why we know about Jesus today. And why it's so important for the next generation and the generations to come, and however long God gives us, why it's so important that we repeat what they did in the first century. Because we know, and men like William Tyndale did what they did, is the reason why we know about Jesus today. And, you know, what they've tried to explain is, you know, basically that this happened and this happened, but it really doesn't explain. This is one of the reasons why we know about Jesus. John talks about it in his letter, 1 John chapter 1. And let's begin with a word of prayer before we start to read God's Word. Let's pray. God, we are grateful this morning to be together, and I pray that you'll please bless uh, the message that you are going to deliver to us. Fill us with your spirit. I do pray for our friends that are visiting here with us, God, that you will help them to know how much you love them, how much you want to draw them close. God, we ask you this morning, be with us now and use your church. Thank you so much for the way that you're using the church in Tokyo. And we know, God, that you're going to use all these disasters for good. Help people in Japan and all over the world to open their eyes that this world is not a stable place. The only safe place that we have is with you. God, be with us now. Fill me with your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's one of the explanations of why we know about Jesus today. John says it here in 1 John 1, verse 1. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and which our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim considering the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and Jesus Christ. One explanation is because Jesus wasn't a story, a bedtime story. Jesus was an event. Jesus' life, Jesus' miracles, Jesus' word. And most importantly, 
Jesus' resurrection was a fact. And John is saying here, we saw it. We saw it. We heard it. We touched it. We were there. And I'm passing this on to you as a witness. And it's your decision if you accept my testimony or you reject my testimony. But it comes from eyewitnesses, people who were there, not somebody else. And, and that's what we're going to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Acts. Luke, a doctor, took it upon himself to write the history of the first church right after Jesus' death and resurrection, the beginning. And what the apostles did, it's called the Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts of the Apostles. And it shows us a history. And we're going to see what the church did that gave us what we have today. And it's our responsibility to carry that torch and continue. You know, what was the first century church all about? What was first century Christianity? It began as a movement. And obviously we talked about this last week. Movements do what? They move. And if you want to know if something is a movement, it's got to be moving. Like this morning. Were you moving? You know, maybe it was a little harder for you to move this morning, one hour earlier. I know in our house that's kind of what happened. It was difficult to move. But the church was about, you know, an event. The focal point, the rally point of the church was around an event. Not around miracles, not around, you know... Uh, Bibles and, and, and an institution, a building. They didn't even have a building. They didn't have Bibles. It was totally centered on an event. And the event was the resurrection of Jesus. And it wasn't wrapped around tradition. And there was no hierarchical leadership. It was focused on everybody that needed to know about Jesus. The church began, the first century church began very outward focused. And we're going to look at that today. And as we look at this, over time something happened. You know, we talked about it last week. They changed the word ecclesia to church and it became about a building. Churches got buildings. And with buildings came a corruption. And they also decided to get organized. They also decided to form a level of leadership and and seize the opportunity. They had ulterior motives to control and have power and run the government via the church. And it became very, very, very corrupt. And it was very sad what happened after that. But thanks that we have the Bible, we can go back and correct those mistakes. But the outward focus movement of the church in the first century. And if you look at the book of Acts, and I'd encourage you, read it for yourself. You're going to see that they had a very outward focus. They were all about trying to help other people. They they wanted to love. They wanted to teach about love, forgiveness, acceptance, hope, change. And something happened. All that love turned in on itself. And everything changed. And this is, a, this is a law that you will see happen with churches, particularly the local church. You know, in physics, there's a law of gravity, right? And the law of gravity says that things have to expand. They're always tending towards expansion. You know, churches have a law of gravity also. And you know what that, that gravitational pull is? Instead of out, 
the gravitational pull is in. And I'm sure here today we've got a lot of people with some stories and we could spend all afternoon you telling your story. I can tell you my story because I got the mic. But I remember as a young college student, 21 years old, and I studied the Bible. I was so excited. My life changed radically. I went from the darkness to the light. I went from doing a lot of bad stuff and hurting a lot of people to beginning a life anew. And I was so excited about what God had given me. So obviously I went around and I started talking to people and I was sharing my faith and we started studying with some of my friends. But then I went to church, right? And we had our campus ministry and our campus ministry was on fire. We had a mission and we wanted to take the the campus for Christ. But I went to church. And I started to look around in the pews and other people weren't as fired up as we were and as I was. And the closer I got to people... I realized that there was some inner squabbling going on between some of the older members. And I was like, what is this? And then on Wednesday night, we would have our services. And, you know, I I was there and excited. Hey, man, I get to see my brothers and sisters. But I noticed there was about half of the people or less that would come on Wednesday night. And I go, why? Why aren't they here? Don't they understand what this is? This is awesome. This is the church of Christ and and we have relationships and and we're close. But as I got to know some of the older members, I realized that they didn't have the same faith and zeal that I had. And as time went on in the church, I got closer to some of the leaders and I realized that there was some inner squabbling going on between them. It was very disheartening. And shortly after, I'd moved to Boston, and it broke my heart. I moved to Boston from Tampa, Florida, and the church split. Two different groups. And it was so sad. I remember sitting there and hearing the news, and I just cried. I just wept. Because that was the place where I was born spiritually. That was where my relationships were. I said, what happened? What happened to my birthplace where I learned about Jesus, where I learned about love, where I learned about hope? What happened? And I'm sure you could tell your story about the deacon, about the the, the, this person, that person. And it's such a long history. And I want to assure you, if you're here visiting with us today, you may have your story. You may have your experience that you kind of pushed away from church because of what happened. But I want to assure you that that's not what's in here. That's not what's in the Bible. You see, what they focused on in the first century, and yes, they had their situations, but they worked at working them out, and their primary focus was not inward, but outward. And that's what we have to be careful with. It happens over and over and over again with churches. They form little groups, little groups of people that are they're inner communities. They're called cliques. And, and they're, the, they're the friends, and, and they, they have this group, and this group, and this group, and this community, and this community. And they lose perspective because it's all about who? It's all about us. And one of the ways you can tell 
whether a church is heading in this direction or in this direction, is the prayers of that church. And one of the things that I've had to look at and we always have to look at is, what do my prayers sound like? It comes down, breaks down to this, this phrase, how a church prays is how you know if a church has strayed. How a church prays determines if a church has strayed. And, you know, just to think about the way that we pray, a lot of people, even if you were to go back and ask, you know, last year when you prayed maybe your big prayers or some of your prayers, if God were to answer all of your prayers last year, right, who would be better off? Who would be the primary person that would be better off after all your prayers were answered? Who? Me, right? You. You know, and sometimes we pray about little things. And I'm not saying we don't need to pray about us and we don't need to pray, but if our primary focus is on me, on us, something's missing. And God doesn't want us thinking in that direction. I'll give you an example. A lot of times when we go on a trip, what do we pray for? Safe trip, right? And, and I do that. We all, we all pray, I, you know, I'll get out Psalm 121 and keep us safe in our comings and our goings. And that's the traveler's prayer. I learned that in a, a few years ago. Every time you travel, pray Psalm 121, the traveler's prayer. But let me give you a tip about if you want to have a safe trip. Put your, sa- seat, your seat belt on. Okay, and drive the speed limit. And guess what? With or without the prayer, you're more than likely going to get there safe. You want to empower. You want to spend your time praying to the creator of the universe, give me a safe trip, when in reality, you're going to get there safe if you do those little things. And you know, we need to keep on praying little things. But where are the big things? And we talked about this at the beginning of the year. We talked about this last year. Big prayers, right? But that's what the first century church did. They prayed big prayers. And it's much more than just, you know, God blessing us. And the reality of it is, when you look at the rest of the world, God bless me, and I sometimes feel convicted. God bless me, but I go, wait a second, I'm already blessed. I'm blessed. I'm at the top 8% of the world. I got a car. I got change in, and I got money in my wallet. You know, most of the people in the world don't have that. I've got good health. I can go to the doctor. I can go to the hospital. I can get treated. I'm blessed. Why am I asking for blessings? I've already got them. What can I spend time praying about? Big things. And the needs of people around us that are hurting, that are, are really in need. And this is what we're going to see in the church we're going to focus on two chapters in the book of Acts today. So let's open our Bibles. And when you understand God's mission and God's big mission, God's big plan, then you will pray big prayers. Because you're going to be on, on, on the same level as He is. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to kind of fill in the blanks. We're not going to read verse 1 through 11. But just to kind of begin, now we've got, we've got Apostle number one and number two. These were the primary guys. Who gave the first sermon in the book of Acts? Anybody know? 
Peter, not Paul, Peter. Peter gave it. And we're going to learn about Peter. Who was, who was Jesus' right-hand man? John was. Okay, so you got Peter, the, the preacher, and John, the right-hand man. Apostle number one, apostle number two. And look what they did one afternoon in verse one. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer about three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple, temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day and begged, for, begged from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, here's a guy who is lame from birth. You know, my, my, my kids sometimes come home from school and they say, hey, you know, my, my teacher from, from school, he's lame. And I go, you mean he can't walk? They go, no, not that. But see, that's a, see for us today, lame has another definition. Lame in biblical terms means somebody can't walk. I know for young people today, lame means something else. But we're talking about the biblical definition here, okay? Just wanted to make sure because, you know, we've got a mixed company here. Got to know what the Bible's saying when it says lame. All right? So Peter looked straight at him in verse 4. As did John. And this is what he said. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Could you imagine this? This is a grown man. He's never walked in his life. And he begins walking. And he begins jumping around. What if somebody in our fellowship was in that situation? Man, could you imagine? And this was going on right in the middle of the temple court. And, and, and Jerusalem was a small city. You know, compared to us and today. So people knew each other. And they would go into the temple courts every day or, or many times a week. And so they knew this guy. They knew who he was. They knew he was lame, crippled his whole life since he was born. So when he got healed, it was a big deal. And when they're seeing this guy like a Mexican jumping bean, he's just jumping around and he's yelling and he's shouting, I can walk, I can walk. And people are blown away. And they probably knew him by name. Hey, there's Frank. There's Frank. He was, he was born lame. And look at him. What, what does this mean? And so a crowd started to, to form around Frank, Peter, and John. And so what does Peter do? He sees the crowd. What's he do? He says, man, i got a great sermon for this group. Okay? And he, un, he unleashes one. And he starts to preach the word and he starts to preach about repentance and turning from your, your, your life and your, your life of sin. And there will be times of refreshing. And he basically points his finger to the crowd and said, you crucified Jesus with the help of evil men. You did it. And so the Pharisees get word of this. And they hear about this sermon that Peter is now preaching to a multitude of people and they are furious. So they get arrested. Now, remember when they crucified Jesus? How long ago was that? Two months, more or less. 
Two months ago, they just crucified Jesus. What do you think they're going to do with Peter and John? I mean, it's, it's a serious situation. They're not playing games. So they're arrested. But one of the problems, and you pick it up in chapter 4, one of the problems that they had was that, here's Frank. I mean, what are you going to do about that? What do you say when, and Frank, you know, they spent the night in jail. Frank probably didn't, didn't, didn't stop standing and walking around the whole night. He's just walking around. Would you? Would you lay down after your whole life being laid down? No, you would just stand up and you would walk around. You couldn't be sit still. And, you know, obviously there's Frank. And there's the trial. And they start to go after Peter and say, what are you guys doing? What are you saying? And why are you accusing of this? And look what, look what, look what Peter says here in chapter 4, verse 12. And I know this is going to make you feel maybe a little uncomfortable, but look what, look what Peter said here to the Sanhedrin. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given by men which they must be saved. Now, this is a strong statement. Not Moses, not Abraham, Jesus. There's no other name. And you know, historically speaking, there's been no other name. There's been no other name. Historically. There's never been a human being assigned a place like Jesus. Even today. Only Jesus. He stands apart. He is the one. And there's nowhere else you can find salvation outside of Jesus. So you can imagine how they're feeling now. I mean, they're ripped. They are livid. And, you know, so they, they continue. And basically, they didn't, they didn't crucify Peter and John because Frank. Frank's right there. What are you going to do with that? You can't deny it. It's a miracle. It's of God. There's no other way to explain it. So they threatened him. They threatened him and they said, listen, no more talking about we killed Jesus and no more resurrection. No more preaching in the temple courts. You're out. But before they left, look at what Peter said to them. And actually what they saw in Peter and John. In verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, they, there was nothing they could say. Mm. But there was something Peter could say. And look what he says. But Peter and John replied, they kicked them out and they said, don't do it or else. And you know what Peter said? Look what Peter said. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They couldn't hold it in. So where's the focus of Peter and John? Out, not in. And this is a characteristic of the church. And we have to ask ourselves today as a church, are we focused on in or are we focused on out? And we have to realize today the state of our community, the hurt, the pain, 
the need, the lostness. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Without Jesus, what is the eternal destiny of a person that does not have salvation? It's what the Bible says. Hell is their destiny. It's not my judgment. It's not our church's judgment. It's God's judgment. It's very clear. If you want to, you know, if you're visiting and you can, well, I kind of, I don't know. Go back and hear the lesson. You can go to our website. You can hear the lesson. It's very clear in Scripture. In fact, the majority, one of the principal things that Jesus talked about in His ministry was hell and judgment. More than He talked about heaven. By far. In fact, Jesus died to save us from hell. But look at the boldness of Peter and John. So, they say this statement and they release them. Alright, now, here's where we come in. They go back to the core group. And the core group, maybe, we can imagine, maybe 120 believers. You know, there were 3,000, but they had this, this core leadership group and they were staying together in one place. And Peter and John show up and they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't but God, thank God, you're alive. We thought we'd never see you again when you got arrested. Because it was just two months and they were they killed Jesus. And so they're so relieved and they embrace Peter and John. Oh, thank you. Thank you that thank you that nothing happened to you. How would we respond if we were that group of 120? You know. They said a prayer, but how would we pray? God, thank you for saving Peter and John from death. And then uh, they would probably pray, please protect us and keep us safe. You know, because we in America, we're all about being safe, right? In fact, we have, a, we have a, an asphyxiation or we have a, you know, this, this obsession with being safe. You know, we get alarms and locks and, 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 and all these things. And we're always so careful and, and, and be safe. Mom and dad, they always say to the kids, be careful, be careful. And maybe we would pray that. And so they'd sit down with Peter and John and say, okay, we've got to come up with a new plan. You and, you and John, Peter, cannot be together anymore. We can't afford to lose apostle number one and apostle number two. So we've got to split you guys up. Okay, you can never be together. Kind of like they do with the president and the vice president. I don't know if you know they, they do that. They're never together in one place. And if they do, it's going to be in some bunker, you know, 100 feet below the ground in some secure place with soldiers and, and security guards. So they would split them up. We, we would split them up. And they put together a security team, maybe some black Escalades. You know, they'd line them up. That's what we would do. we get the black Escalades and we get guys... Big guys with wires coming out of their ears. You know, to, hey, here he comes. Okay? Apostle number one is coming out of the building. And they'd be like, all right, looking around. Hey, you look suspicious. That's what we would do, right? And then they would sit down with Peter and John and say, you know what, guys? Let's tone down the rhetoric. I mean, come on, you're going to get killed. Let's ease back on these lessons and these these sermons, okay? I mean, come on. Do you have to say every time that you killed Jesus? I mean, do you have to point your finger every time, Peter? I mean, just just give us a few months. Let's take like a year and, and, and... and don't talk about the resurrection anymore. That really rubs the, 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 Jew, the Sanhedrin the wrong way. They hate that. They're going to kill you guys. 
why can't we just have positive sermons? Okay? For a year. One year of positive hope, love. Just, just make it light. Okay? And then after a year, we can ramp up again and we can go back again. Because we need, we need about a year to build the, the stability of the church. 3,000. Right? That's probably what we would do. Right? Because we're so obsessed with not offending anyone in our culture today. We're being trained and bombarded. You've got to be very careful about what you say. You have to be considerate. And, and, but these guys, look, look, look at what they do. Let's pick it up again. If you have your Bible, let's open up chapter 4, verse 24. Hope you brought your Bible. Now, that's what we would do. What would they do? Okay? What, what, what did they do? Not what would they do. What did they do? Let's look at what they did. Verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Nice way to begin a prayer. Perspective. Who is God? You're sovereign. You're the creator of everything. See, they had that perspective. They knew who they were praying to. And I would say, you know, this is something we need to include in our prayers. Verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David, our father. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers... Gather together against the Lord, against the Anointed One. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, what are they saying here? They're recounting the prophecy about Jesus and His coming. See, God, they knew what the Bible said. And they said, this is all happening, this persecution against us, against Jesus. This is all happening because your word said it would. This is the prophecy. And so they knew biblically, they knew spiritually this was going to happen. They weren't reacting to what society was telling them. They were reacting to what God had told them. And they understood what God was saying and what God was doing. They were in sync, which would help us as a church not to let society dictate what we believe and do, but to believe, and this was all predicted by the prophets and your servant David. They saw it. Pontius Pilate, Herod, they saw it. This was prophesied about. Why do the nations rage? Why is this happening? You know, when we hear about these disasters around the world, do you go back to the Scriptures and see this is talked about? That these things are going to happen. A lot of people freak out and say, the world is going to end. No, Jesus said, there's going to be calamity. And that doesn't mean I'm coming yet. But it's going to happen. And it's going to happen so that people can open their eyes. That life is bigger than their day-to-day routine. And we don't have as much control on the world as we think we do. And life is 
precious. It's a gift. And we don't know how long we have. And look at their prayer. They go on in verse... Now, they've recounted the prophecy. Then in verse 29, now it comes to the asking part. They're going to ask God for something. What did they ask for? Safety? Security? Peace? Look at what they asked for. Verse 29 says it up on the screen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great what? Now, wait a second. Do you think they needed more boldness? Do you think Peter needed more boldness? Isn't boldness the problem here? Weren't they already too bold? Weren't they already creating a problem? And they want more? Yes. And look what else they prayed. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. You want to know why the church made it out of, the the, the history made it out of the first century about Jesus? You want to know why? Prayers like this. Prayers like William Tyndale's prayer. Statements like William Tyndale's prayer. I want the youngest boy to know more about the Scriptures than you scribes do. Because they need to know about Jesus. Prayers like this are the reason we know about Jesus, are the reason why a third of the world's population believe there's a connection between God and Jesus. Now, there's a lot more they need to know, and there's a lot more that they need to believe when you really get to know the Scriptures. And if you're visiting here with us today, believing is not enough. You've got to believe, and you've got to walk, and you've got to act on your belief. And you have to know what you believe. You have to know what the Scriptures teach and live according to the Scriptures. And it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. But that is saving faith. Hear, believe, and obey. HBO. But look at what they're praying for. We say, well, we need to start praying these kind of prayers as a church. And if we would just include these types of prayers in our prayer life, what would happen? What would, what would it, we would open our eyes to the needs of the people around us. We would, like the church in Tokyo, we would open our doors and say, let's seize this opportunity. Let's welcome people in. Let's help them. Let's serve them. Let's show them. And you've got to wonder, what are those people thinking as they walk into a church building and people they've never met in their whole life are handing them food? And it wasn't just this past You know, yesterday in Tokyo, this happened in Haiti. What did our church do in Haiti? Our church in Haiti became a medical center where people could come and get fed, could come and get medical treatment. And you know what happened in Haiti because of that? People got saved. They used the disaster to save souls. Where they, no, 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 we need to take care of ourselves. Sorry, we can't help you today because we've got hurt and sick people in our own church. Sorry, come back tomorrow. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll be ready to attend to you. Was that the Spirit? And I want to encourage us as a church, all of us, because we tend, it's a, it's a natural thing, we tend towards focusing on ourselves. And I want to encourage you to start thinking about people around you.
and start praying a prayer for boldness. You know, it's fear. It's, it's, it's one of the devil's greatest weapons in our lives. You know, we got the opportunity there. There's someone there. We can talk to him about, about Jesus. And we're not talking about weirdness. Boldness. Not weirdness. Boldness. Okay? Boldness. That means when the doors open, you're going to share about your life. You're going to share about what God has done in your life. How He's changed you. How it's different. How things have gotten better. And you have a place to turn to. And you, you can now talk to God. You now understand what is the purpose of your life. But that you'll take that opportunity. Then the second prayer, you go stretch out your hand. They ask God to shake things up in the society. And these are scary prayers. I believe God is working around the world right now. A concern of mine is, are we going to be ready? Let's say if there was an earthquake now here in this area, what would we do? How would we respond? Would we look at it as, oh my goodness, it's a disaster. We would run out in the streets and start screaming and yelling. I know it would be hard. Okay? But will we understand the spiritual perspective? What's happening? Our our security and our safety that we have now is false. You walk out of here today and, oh yeah, nothing's going to happen. You don't know that. You don't know what's going to happen. You think you're going to go home. You think you're going to go to lunch. You think you're going to, this week, next week, we're going on spring break in three or four weeks. And then this summer we're going to go on this cruise and we're going to do this and we're going to... You don't know that. None of us know that. They knew that. In the first century church. And we need to pray, God, use... Stretch out your hand. Use events in the world to change people's lives. We want to be used as a church. We don't want to be an inward focused club where we just think, talk to ourselves, hey, you know, uh, and just all together and with just us. No, we want to be we want to be people that love and that care and that someone who walks in those doors and go, come in, we, hey, it's so good to see you. How can we help you? Here's what can we do a Bible study? And some people get weirded out by that, but you know what? Better to be full of love and care and concern. I remember the first time I went to church with some of the loving disciples. I was like, whoa. But you know what? When I went away, man, these people really care. And when I hit the bottom, guess who I called? Not Ghostbusters. I called the disciples because I knew they would respond. And they would study the Bible with me every day. And that's what they did. Every day. I had time. I had the need. They made the time. They weren't too busy for me. My concern is that we get too busy with our stuff. Hey, can we get together? Yeah, maybe next week or maybe the next week after. Not with somebody who's lost. Not with somebody who needs God. They, They pray, stretch out your hand. Perform miraculous signs. You know, when you hear this, you think, well, are we going to be one of those kinds of churches where people are rolling in the aisles? Understand this. The context of miracles in the church and what they're praying for was not in the sanctuary. That has been a misinterpretation of Scripture. Miracles in church is still self-centered and self-focused. I don't need a miracle to encourage my faith. My faith is solid. But people out there need to see a miracle so they can believe. 
In the first century, miracles happen for one specific purpose. Even Frank, remember Frank? Lame guy? He died. All the people that were healed died. It wasn't like, you know, uh, the green, the, the green, uh, what was the name of that, that movie? The Green Mile, where you get healed and you never die or you, you live for 150 years. That didn't happen. That's not what, people got healed, but they died. What was the focal point? The focal point of the miracle was to draw attention to what? The resurrection of Jesus. And we need to pray, God, we want to see miracles around us. What's the greatest miracle? We talked about this a few weeks ago. What, what's the biggest miracle? A changed life. A life that's changed. There's been a miracle in many of you guys' lives. Talk about that. You know, when I think about, you know, Alex, just baptized, man. What, what, what a miracle. We need to, hey, you, the students, college students, you guys need to say, hey, there's this guy, Alex. He got baptized. He's totally different now. I went to high school with him. We were like that. And I know what he was like. But he's totally different. You know, and Julia, she's totally different. You know, talk about those miracles. And then people are going to open their eyes and go, wow, this is something different. Just like they saw Frank. When they saw Frank, they were like, well, okay, guys, what's the message here? What's this all about? We need to ask for God to perform miracles in our communities so that people can see and understand the message. Amen? Are you with me? All right, we need to wrap this up. Now, what happened after this big, bold prayer? In verse 31, look what happened. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You say, well, man, there was an earthquake. No, the place, just the building, just the location. Okay, it wasn't the Richter scale, it was the building. I don't know, maybe it was an earthquake, but it says the place where they were meeting only was shaken. What does that tell you? You think God was fired up? Let me shake it up for him a little bit. <laughs> let, let me let him know, I'm with you guys. You're on the right track. Keep on doing it. Keep on going. I'm with you. Just a little shake. Okay, you want to shake? Probably not. Because we get, oh no, let me go and get the civil defense kit. And, and The place where they were meeting was shaken and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what? Spoke the Word of God boldly. They walked out of there and they were on fire. They were bold. They weren't weird. Okay? There's a difference. Okay? The believers, look at this. This is powerful. The believers shared their possessions with all, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. Guess what happens? When you're outward focused, guess what happens? You're one. When you're inward focused, guess what happens? Weirdness. Squabbling. Weird stuff goes on. You know, weird thoughts like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? What about that? You see? And stuff's going to happen. We need to work out all the things. But it's amazing when you focus inward, more stuff gets brought out. It's not good. 
But for them, they were together. They were one in heart and mind. And look what it says here. No one claimed that they had any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. This outpouring of generosity came because they had perspective. They realized value. This is a very important thing. They didn't have to go and say, okay, I want you to give a tithe. I want you to give more money in the church. No, 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 no. Just by a prayer and just by a focus and getting on page, everything changed. In fact, the tithe wasn't even what this is all about. They, they were doing wow things with their resources. There was no limitation. So to conclude today, when we pray for the communion, I want us to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand up if you would. Okay? I know you're tired. You didn't get you lost an hour of sleep last night. Let's all stand together. Okay? Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple in the church, okay, you got to play. Okay? You got to play. You got to pray. All right? This is what our brothers and sisters prayed. And I want you to pray this prayer with faith. Not as a chant, but as a prayer. We're going to pray this prayer together. If you're visiting here with us, you're welcome to join us. But we're going to begin today and pray this prayer that our brothers and sisters... And why do we want to pray these prayers? Why do we want to be a bold church? Why do we want to be an hour-focused church? Because our grandchildren need to know that the faith in the church is in good hands. Think about however many years God gives us. We want people to know. And this is the key to people in the generations to come. Knowing about Jesus. Amen? Alright, so let's pray together. It's up on the screen so you know what we're praying. Lift this up to God. Okay, you ready? Now Lord, with me. Now Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray for the communion. God, we are so grateful to be a part of something so special. God, help us to lift our eyes off of ourselves and off of what we see so that we can see 